Good morning. It's so good to see you. I'm so glad that you're here. I feel like we could have just wrapped things up after that Mother's Day video. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to get any better. It will get better than that. It's, we're, we're here to worship the Lord. So I'm excited that you are here. That's like, well, it's all downhill from here is what I was inadvertently saying. So we uh, are in this series called Acts, the Church on the Move. My name's Andrew. Welcome. I know many of you are here maybe for parent commissioning or different reasons. I'm just glad that you're here. We get to worship the Lord, open his word together. Uh, we are in this, this 15th week of the series, winding down in the book of Acts. And, and let me just kind of bring us all, like, let's orient ourselves to where we're at in the book of, of Acts. Really, what we've seen from the beginning is Jesus goes up. He ascends to the Father, the Holy Spirit. It comes down, the church is born, and the gospel begins to go out throughout the world, and churches are, are, are born and, and reproduced and planted throughout. And what we see in the book of Acts, even though we haven't necessarily used this word, but what we're seeing unfold is God's plan of multiplication. He's multiplying his word. What started with Jesus and 12 disciples or apostles uh, has, has quickly branched out. Back in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1 and 2, we had 120 disciples. And then very quickly, it became thousands of disciples. It started with one church in Jerusalem. And then uh, we had a church born in um, Antioch of Syria. And then Paul, as he's going on these missionary journeys, is planting churches throughout, uh, throughout Asia. And, and where we find ourselves today in Acts chapter 19 is uh, Paul is on mission trip number three. Last week he saw, we saw that he was in Corinth and then he went back to Antioch and then he headed back out again on this third missionary trip. Uh, and today we're going to see this main city in, in this third missionary journey of, of Paul's. It's to Ephesus, the city of, of Ephesus. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know there's a book written to the church at Ephesus called Ephesians. Uh, and so today's sermon is called No Little Disciples. Disturbance. No little disturbance. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19. And just kind of to set it up, I want to read verse 23 out of Acts 19, which is really a great summary verse for Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus. It says this in Acts 19:23. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. The way was a reference to the followers of Jesus who said, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. It says there's a, a, no little disturbance. In other words, that's another way of saying there was a massive uh, disturbance in Ephesus because of what Paul and his missionary team are doing there. Uh, and so let me ask you a question this, around this thought of, of, of disturbances. Have you, have you ever been interrupted while you're doing something, uh, you're in the middle of something, you're doing something that you think is important to you, uh, and then somebody kind of interrupts your progress or your activity, what's your, what's your normal response? A little frustrated, right? A little angry sometimes. So one of my favorite things on my iPhone is this brilliant little feature. It's very simple, but brilliant. It's the do not disturb feature. Anybody use that? Does anybody else use that? So there's two instances where I just, I, I use it all the time. Okay, one is, is sermon prep. When I'm deep in sermon prep, I get distracted really easily. I don't need my phone, you know, pinging at me. So I, I put it on do not disturb mode. But then there's a second and really the most important time I use the do not disturb feature, Sunday naps. 
Y'all know what I'm saying? Um, if, if you're going to interrupt me during my nap, you better have lost a limb or like our house is burning down or something. For me to get less than an hour of a nap on a Sunday is, is, is crime. Um, so I love to just set, set, do not disturb, roll over, sleep. Um, I'm really looking forward to my nap today. I've been talking a lot today, so I'm excited for that here in a couple hours. Uh, but do not disturb. So a disturbance is to be interrupted or disrupted. It could mean a state of peace or quiet or calm is interrupted or, or maybe something causes trouble. You know, maybe in a city where there's um, a breach of public peace, we would call that a riot, which we'll actually see in Acts chapter 19. Um, you know, when I think of the word disturbance, some of you already have this in your brain. There's a quote. I know the nerds in the room because if you're thinking Star Wars, if you think of Obi-Wan, you're thinking of that great line, I felt a great disturbance in the force, right? So there's, there's something in the galaxy that has interrupted like our state of peace and tranquility. And this is what a disturbance is. And, and to be honest, sometimes a disturbance, probably most often a disturbance feels like an annoyance. It's just interrupted my life. But but certain disturbances can be welcome. They can be helpful. They can even be life-saving. I mean, I think of a, like a smoke alarm, right? Which can be really annoying when it goes off if you're cooking or whatever reason, but that little loud disturbance could literally save your life, right? That thing better be going off if you disturb my sleep. Um, but, but a disturbance. In this first century with the early church, what you see is that everywhere the, the apostles, the, the followers of Jesus went, they caused a disturbance. They riled things up. Uh, Acts 17.6, you may remember this verse a couple chapters ago. Speaking of, again, these early followers of Jesus, this is how they described them. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, man, they were disruptive everywhere they went because of what they were proclaiming and what they were doing. Their message was a disruptor. It disturbed things. And so here is the big uh, thought this morning that I, I want us to kind of settle into. This, this is the thought. God's word always disrupts or disturbs the status quo. God's word always disturbs the status quo. And we'll see that kind of unfold in Acts 19. So if you have a Bible, or even if you don't, I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to read the Bible together. Acts chapter 19, there's 41 verses. We're going to just read verses 1 through 20. This is God's word. This is truth. This is life. This is God's revelation of himself to us. And we're going to read it together. Acts chapter 19, it starts by saying this, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And it says, verse 7, there were about 12 men in all. 
And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God, verse 11, was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us. Thank you that we can gather together around your truth and we can understand and have our eyes and our hearts open to the reality of who you are and all that you've done. And so, Lord, I pray that as we dive into this chapter in Acts 19 today, that you would do that, that you would open our our eyes, you would open our hearts, that you would speak truth to us that we need to hear today. And so, God, would you do a work that only you could do? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Why don't you have a seat? So, no little disturbance, Acts chapter 19. So, let me give you a little bit of context. The city of Ephesus that, that Paul and his team come into. Ephesus was this important port city on the west coast of, of Asia. The people of, of Ephesus were fascinated. They were obsessed with magic and the occult. In fact, Ephesus was the home to this, this major temple, the Temple of Artemis, or otherwise known as Diana, this goddess of fertility. And in fact, this temple was such a work of art, it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This was in Ephesus. And not only was this a place of worship of this goddess Artemis, or Diana, um, not only was it a place of worship, but it affected and impacted uh, the, the city's economic prosperity. So behind the shrine of, of Diana, uh, there was a treasury or a bank, um, so the financial economy was impacted by, by this whole center, uh, this temple. Uh, you also had all of these, uh, these people who were peddling idols and shrines and, and making money off of this, so the, this temple was a significant thing in Ephesus, and the worship of this false goddess uh, Artemis or Diana uh, 
was, was important to this culture. So what I see is upon arrival of, of, of Paul and his team in Ephesus, there were four disturbances that we see in Ephesian, or Ephesians uh, in Acts chapter 19. Uh, some of them we'll spend a little bit of time on, some of them we'll spend more time on, but here's, here's the four. Number one is this. The first disturbance was the religious disciples. The religious disciples in verses one through seven. So upon arrival, Paul encounters these 12 disciples that we learn as we read through that, that they were followers of John. They were baptized into the baptism of, of John. But there's something about these disciples that makes, that makes Paul ask them a question. Verse number two, the question is this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? All right, so those of us that are New Testament believers, if, if, if we understand this correctly, the way this works is from Acts chapter 2 on, when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit immediately comes in at that moment of conversion and takes up residency within us. He marks us as his own. So there was something about these disciples that, that, that Paul saw, and he, he didn't see evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life. Uh, it kind of comes across like a little rude to me. It would be like if somebody came up to you and was like, Bro, do you even have the Holy Spirit? Like, I don't see that in your life. But, but there was something that prompted Paul to ask this question. Their response was, no, we, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And what you see from the, the, the text is that they didn't even know of who Jesus was. And so there's questions about, you know, were these disciples actually saved at this point or, or not? Um, I think they were maybe like Old Testament believers. They were looking forward to a Messiah that was to come, but they had not yet heard of, of Jesus. My study Bible said it's like they were living in a, in a time warp. They were like still in Acts chapter 1. They hadn't heard of the Holy Spirit. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit. But what I think is most important in this story is that when they heard about Jesus, they believed. They put their faith in him. It says that they were baptized. They embraced the, the person of Jesus. So this truth that they heard, they're just living their life. They're following what they know. But when they were confronted with the truth of Jesus, when they were disturbed, when they were disrupted by this truth, man, they gave themselves over to Christ. And so what it says in this passage is, you know, Paul lays his hands on them. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes. They begin to speak in, in tongues. And, and what I want to make sure that I say is because we see this kind of throughout the book of Acts. If you remember, I have to give this reminder uh, that Acts is a book of transition. So there's a lot of transition happening. There's a lot of things that are going on in the book of Acts that uh, God is describing things, but not necessarily prescribing things. And so what we see here is he lays his hands on them. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. Uh, this is not the New Testament norm. What we said earlier is the New Testament norm is believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us. You don't need uh, a pastor, a preacher, a prophet, an apostle to lay their hands on you for you to receive the Holy Spirit that comes at the new birth when you put your faith in Christ. That is the norm. This is not. But this is how God is operating here at this point. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. This is, in the book of Acts, the fourth time we see the Holy Spirit descend on, on a group of people. First it was the Jews at Pentecost, Samaritans, Gentiles, and Cornelius. And then here, uh, they begin to speak in tongues, which again is not the New Testament norm. But this was an outward demonstration. It was a verification that they now possessed the Holy Spirit. And he was doing something miraculous through them. This is the third time in the book of Acts that we see a group of people speaking in tongues. But we don't see it all the time. Uh, again, this is not the norm. 
But this is disturbance number one. These seven religious disciples who are confronted with the truth of Jesus, they get on board. They begin to follow him. Disturbance number two is this. It is uh, in the synagogue and in the school. In the synagogue and in the school. So Paul, his custom, you've heard us say this over these last few chapters. Whenever Paul would descend upon a new city, he would always start where? The synagogue, right? He would always go to the Jewish people. He would begin to proclaim that Christ, Jesus, was the Messiah that they had heard about for generations. And so he, he started in the synagogue. It says that he spent three months there. And I, I love this phrase that it uses uh, when it talks about this. In verse number eight, he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So he wasn't just a preacher who would drop the word, declare the word and say, believe it or else. No, he reasoned with them. He would uh, persuade them. There was dialogue, there was conversation, there was relationship going on. And I love this too, because sometimes we think, well, Christianity is a, a blind faith. Well, no, it's a reasonable faith because he reasoned with them and he persuaded them. And so this is what Paul did for three months in the synagogue. But do you see the response of, of the people? Verse number, eight, verse number nine says this, when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. So they're stubborn, they're, they're settled into their unbelief, but then even some of them begin to speak evil. So they become, begin to become slanderous. And so what does Paul do? How does Paul respond? It says, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So he, he moves on. He says they're stubborn. They're, they're not listening. For three months, he's digging in, trying to teach them. He moves on. And this is really in keeping with, with Jesus's teaching. Uh, Dr. Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, also the author of the gospel uh, by his own name. This is, this is how Jesus instructed his followers uh, to, to, to preach the gospel. He said, when you go into a town, you preach the gospel. Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, do what? Shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. He says, hey, your responsibility is not to make people believe. Your responsibility is to sow seed. It's to give them the gospel. And if they continue stubbornly in unbelief, shake the dust off your feet. Move on. There are more people that need to hear the truth. And so this is what Paul and the disciples, these new disciples do. They move from the synagogue into what is called the, the school of, of Tyrannus. So Tyrannus was a Greek teacher who either owned this lecture hall or the school. Um, and, and so they were meeting there daily, it says, for two solid years. Paul is going in, it says he's reasoning daily with the people there. Uh, some people, some historians say that this was from the time every day from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., which was what was like their time of siesta. Anybody know what siesta means? Nap time, right? You sense, sensing a theme here? This guy loves his naps. So every day from 11 to 4, uh, Paul is in there. He's, he's preaching and teaching and reasoning with them. And, and here, is, here is the result of, of that daily for two years preaching the gospel in the hall of Tyrannus. It says uh, in verse number 10, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So here's the result, is that all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. All of Asia, this entire continent, hears the word of the Lord. So 
The scriptures don't detail this, but you have to infer that there's only one way that this can happen. For Paul to plant himself in a lecture hall for two straight years, but yet the word go out to all of Asia, all the residents heard of the word, that can only happen. The only way it could have happened is if disciples multiplied. If people heard the word, received the word, and then went out and shared it. So that over the course of two years, all of Asia has heard the word of the Lord. And by the way, this was, this was Paul's missionary strategy. It was go into these major cities, preach the gospel, establish the church, and then allow the gospel to go from there into the surrounding regions, the less populated areas. This is how he's going to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so this is what's taking place here. The second disturbance is the synagogue and in the school. And the disturbance was this. When they were confronted with truth, you see these different responses, right? You see some who continued to be stubborn and unbelief, and they even began to speak evil of the way. They began, began to be antagonistic towards the faith. But then you have this whole other group of people that hear and receive, and they became missionaries, right? They took the word throughout all of Asia, but it all is because of this disturbance that Paul comes in preaching the word. Here, here's the third disturbance that I want to spend most of our, our time on this morning. We see the seven sons of, of Siva. Uh, so I want us to all say that together. I'm just kidding, like tongue twister, right? Seven sons of Siva. Seven times we're going to say that. Seven sons of Siva, all right? So Paul um, encounters this, uh, this group of seven sons of a high priest. Now this story, here, if you paid attention to this story, Here's one thing I'll say about it. There's, there's clearly a disturbance in what's going on in the city uh, here, but it's also very disturbing, like on many levels, when you look at this story. First, first we have the holy hankies. All right, y'all see that? We have the holy hankies. In verse number 11, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Okay, so this isn't Paul just doing some kind of magic trick. This is God working extraordinary miracles through Paul. It says, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. Their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So we have no indication here that this was Paul's intention. Um, I don't think Paul was like... I don't think he was sneezing into a hanky and then like finding someone sick and like smearing it all over him. You know what I'm saying? Like taking Jesus like to the next level. You know, Jesus spit in people's eyes and healed their blindness. And Paul's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to one-up Jesus and I'm going to blow my snot in a hanky and heal the sick. Or maybe he was a tent maker, right? So maybe when he was, you know, grill master with his aprons and maybe it got cast aside and someone who was sick touched it and got healed. I don't know what, how, this, how this all came about. Um, but let me give you a warning, all right? If you're ever flipping through the channel and you come across an evangelist who's trying to sell you a holy hanky for just three payments of $99.99 or, you know, this magic prayer carpet that if you pray on this carpet, God will answer all your prayers, run, all right? Flip the channel, get away. That's, that's someone preaching another gospel. All right, this, this, is, this is taking the story of the scripture and saying, hey, this is, I'm going to use this for my benefit. This, this is not the gospel. Uh, but, uh, and I want to share in a moment why I think God allowed this, this disturbing, weird stuff to kind of happen. Um, but that's the first thing is these, these holy hankies. Here's, here's the second thing that we see is we see these Jewish exorcists. All right, seven sons of Siva. Siva was a high priest. So, uh, are y'all familiar with the, 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 the term PKs? Y'all know what PK means? P preacher's kids or pastor's kids? P 
PKs are notorious for, you know, running off the rails morally and all that stuff. Y'all thought pastor's kids went off the rails. These are seven sons of a high priest who decided, hey, we're not going to follow the religion and the faith of our father. We're going we're gonna to take up another line of work. We're going to become, I don't know, exorcists. Like, that's total departure from, you know, the family line of business going on here. Seven sons of Siva says they were exorcists. Uh, and, and so these men, which was, this was pretty normal in ancient, um, you know, tradition, magic tradition, uh, to, to try to invoke the name of a divine being or a divine power to try to command evil spirits. And so these seven sons uh, of the high priest see what's going on through, through Paul. And so they try to, they try to use the name of, of Jesus. And so if you look at it, it, it says this in verse number uh, 14, uh, verse number 13, they declare this, I adjure, I command you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So this isn't my Jesus. This isn't my God. It's the name that that this guy Paul is throwing out. We're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, success through his ministry. So we're going to borrow, we're going to co-opt the name of Jesus, and we're going to command these spirits in his name to come out. Now, here is what I believe is one of the great lines in the book of Acts. I love this line. One of my favorite ones is back in chapter 3. You remember there was the, uh, the paralyzed man who are calling out to Peter, um, you know, Peter and John and and. Peter says, hey, silver and gold have I none, uh, but what I have I give to you. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of, of Nazareth. I, I love that line. Hey, I have no money, but I'll give you what I have. I have Jesus. So here's, here's the response. I love this line from the evil spirits, all right? Uh, verse number 15. The evil spirit answered them. So they're, they're trying to command them by the name of Jesus. Here's what the evil, evil spirit says. Jesus, I know in Paul, I recognize, but who are you? He says, I know Jesus. I'm familiar. I've been hearing about this guy, Paul, who's just made his way into Ephesus. But bro, who are you even? I don't even know who you are. I've never heard of you. So he kind of brushes off these seven sons of Siva. And the next thing you see, this man in whom the evil spirit was, it says, leaps upon them and literally beats the pants off of them. <laughs> Did you see that? It says that they fled out of this house naked and wounded. It's, it's embarrassing enough to get beat up, right? But to run away naked and afraid is a whole different matter. I love what Pastor Matt Chandler said. He says, if when the fight started, you were wearing pants, and when it was over, you were no longer wearing pants, you lost, <laughs> right? That's bad. That's humiliating, and so this is, this is what happens with the seven sons of, of Siva. Here is the result, though. This is the result of, of what happened. Verse number 17, it says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Like, if that happened today, like, I'd be on every message board, TikTok, everything. Like, people would be like, oh, did you hear about the seven sons running naked through the streets, right? It'd be all over the place. So everyone in Ephesus heard both Jews and Greeks and, verse 17, fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. The name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So we laugh about this and I joke about this, but man, fear, it says, fell upon all of the people. They were afraid and the name of Jesus, it says, was, was lifted high. So here's why I think 
God allowed all of this to happen. All the disturbing things we see in this passage from the holy hankies to the seven sons of Siva, the, the exorcists. I believe, think about the context again. We're talking about Ephesus, this people who they're obsessed with magic and the occult and their false god or goddess uh, Diana. Uh, I believe that in this moment, God is condescending to them. He's meeting them right where they're at. And he says, you want to see power? You, you want to see authority? Let me show you real power. Let me show you real authority. This is why I think if you read the book of Ephesians, you will see over and over, uh, five or six times, Paul talks about the greatness of his power because he's coming against a people who have seen this magic and they're amazed by it, but now they see the power of God at work and it says all fear fell upon all of them and they lifted high his name. One more thing happens here and I don't want to skip this. It says that they burned the books. Did y'all see that? It says that some of these, they came, they confessed, they were divulging their practices. Some of those who practiced magic arts brought their magic books or their, their books of incantation, right? They brought these books together and what'd they do with them? Threw them in the fire, right? They, they, they burned them all up. What do you, why do you think they were doing that? Why were they burning the books? It's because they didn't need them anymore, Right? They were serving another God. They were serving a more powerful God. They said, we don't need these anymore. We don't want these anymore. This is our old life. These no longer hold value to us. It says that the value they counted was, was 50,000 pieces of silver, which I've read all these different estimations uh, from a couple hundred thousand dollars up to four to five million dollars worth today. That was the value of them. And what they do? They just, they weren't trying to sell them. They weren't trying to, you know, uh, resell them, make some money up. No, they said, Let's burn them. Burn the books. This reminds me of the phrase, burn the ships. Y'all ever heard that phrase? Burn the ships. It, it refers back to uh, the story 1519, the Spanish conquest of, of Mexico. And there was a, a guy named Hernan Cortes, who upon landing upon the coast of Mexico, his men were, were fearful of, of, of the battle and of defeat. And what Cortes said was, hey, burn, burn the ships. Burn them. We're not going back. We're, we're either going to win or we're going to die. We're either going to win or we're going to die trying. This is a point of no return. Burn the ships. And this is what these, these, these new disciples, these new believers, who, who the gospel has disturbed, disrupted, interrupted their life. They've turned to Jesus and they've said, hey, there's no going back. We're not going back to this way of life. Burn all of the books. We're following him from now on. And so they burn the books. This is an amazing thing. Look at the result. Verse number 20. It says, so the word of the Lord continued to what? Increase. And what's that next? Those next two words. And prevail mightily. The word of God continued to increase and it prevailed mightily. Not just a little bit. Man, it began to have its way in, in Ephesus and in Asia. So this is the third disturbance. Let me just take a moment to mention the fourth disturbance. We didn't read it. Uh, I hope that you'll go back and read verses 21 through 41. If you're doing the Bible reading plan with us, you'll, you'll hit this this week. Uh, the riot. The riot is the fourth disturbance in verses 21 through 41. So let me just summarize what, what's taken place because this was a significant uh, scene in, in Ephesus. There's a man named Demetrius who is a silversmith. He made his living by... Uh, 
forming and fashioning, fashioning these silver idols or shrines to Diana, and he would sell those for a profit. And there was many, many in Ephesus who would do that. And so, so Demetrius begins to stir up his fellow tradesmen and all of the city because of this disturbance, we saw verse 23, that Paul has brought to the city. I want you to see verses 26 and 27. It says this. This is Demetrius who's stirred up the town, and he's speaking to him. He says this, verse 26. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, we're going to lose our money, we're going to lose our business if this keeps going on, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and all the world worship. Here's what Demetrius says. He says, y'all, we've got to do something about this guy, Paul, because he's going to destroy our economy, our way of living. He's calling everything into question. So we've got to do something. And so what you see is this intense riot stirs up in Ephesus. And, you know, these disciples and Paul, there's like fear for their life because of what is taking place here. Um, and then you, you see this, this town clerk who steps in. This town clerk is like the liaison between uh, the city of Ephesus and the Roman government. And he steps in and he says, y'all, y'all need to chill out. You do not want, we do not want Rome to have to intervene. We're, 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 we're in danger of being, you know, a riotous people breaking the law. And if Rome has to intervene and squash that, this is not what we want. And so he says, y'all chill out. That is my translation. If you go back and read, I think it's in there in the Greek, actually. Jay could tell us if that's true or not. Is it in there? It is. Y'all chill out. That's basically what it says. But everything kind of dissipates at that point. But this is, this is the major disturbance taking place. It's, it's turned everything upside down. So the result is this gospel disrupted cultural norms. It put their gods into question, everything that they worship, their idols. It put their vocations into question. It messed with their entire way of life. This was a major disturbance. So what do we do with all this? How do we live in light of the truth of what we see in Acts chapter 19? I want to remind you of that statement I started with, that God's word always disrupts the status quo. God's word always disturbs the status quo. And I want to read or review again verse number 20, the end of this passage we read. It said, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Here, here's something I think you know this, but God wants his word, the word of the Lord, to increase and prevail mightily in the earth. Amen? You believe that? That's what God wants. But I want to make sure that we don't miss this, that God's desire is that his word would increase and prevail mightily, not just in the world, but in us, in you and in me, that it would continue to prevail, that it would win out, that the more that we give ourselves to him and his, his word takes ownership of us, that it would cast out all of our idols and all of the things that we worship, all the false gods that take the place of, of Jesus. 
God wants his word to increase and prevail in us. Through his word, he is trying to transform and renew our minds. He is trying to conform us to the image of Christ. And y'all, this is disruptive, isn't it? It is disruptive to our lives. His word disturbs our status quo. You know what status quo means? It means the way things are, the current condition or current state of things. Here's, here's what I would say. I believe one of the greatest enemies to our growth in Christ, to our fruitfulness in the Lord, is status quo. Just, I'm not moving. I'm staying where I'm at. I'm doing what I'm doing. It's worked before. I don't want to grow. I don't want to change. But this is what the Word of God does. If we will listen, if we listen to it, it will stir us up one way or another. It never, it always shakes things up. It doesn't leave us where we're at. So when you hear the word of God, it will stir you up one way or another. One way or another. It will either make you want to burn down the city or it will make you want to burn the books. Whatever idols, whatever things you've been holding on to, it'll make you say, God, I'm, gonna, I'm not going back I'm not living that way anymore. I'm not going to worship these things. I'm not going to live for these false gods and idols that are taking all of my devotion. No, I'm going to burn the books. And y'all, this is what God wants from us. Not to hold on to the old stuff, the old way of thinking, the old way of living, the old way of behaving. It is to burn the books, to throw them on the fire and say, I'm at a point of no return. I'm not going back there. This is what God is wanting to do in us. What his word doesn't do, it doesn't leave us in the middle somewhere. It doesn't leave us in, you know, what I would call like the lazy river, like mode of living. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just going to jump in and get comfortable and I'm just going to go wherever the current takes me. No, God's word doesn't call us to that. God's word disrupts and it disturbs our lives. And y'all, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to frustrate you. But listen, you know what God has called me to do in your life? It is to disturb the status quo in you. And not to leave you where you're at. Because God wants to change you and grow you and conform you to the image of Christ not to allow you to just meander along and just do whatever and go with the flow. No, he's called us to burn the books, to throw those things in the fire and to walk away and live the life that he's called us to live. This, this reminds me of this quote from, from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. He's talking about this guy, Jesus, who we're preaching. He says either he's a, he's a liar or he's a lunatic or, man, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. Speaking of Christ, I'm, here, here's the foolish thing. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing, C.S. Lewis says, that we must not say. A man was, who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Reminds me of the words of Jesus when Jesus in Matthew 6, 24 said, hey, no man can serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other. You can't serve both. You got to choose your master. Joshua, even further back in Joshua 24, when he stood before the Israelites, he said, hey, listen, you, you got to make a choice. Choose this day who, whom you're going to serve. You got to make a choice. You got to stop riding the fence. You got to stop, stop straddling the middle. You got to choose. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to follow? He says, as for me and my house, listen, we're going to follow the Lord. We're going to burn the books. We're going this way. And this is what God calls us to. This is what Paul calls people to. It's what God's word calls us to, to burn the books, burn the ships. You know, some of you here, uh, I know it because I've seen it. Uh, I've had conversations with you. Some of you are growing. Some of you, the, the word of the Lord is continuing to increase and prevail mightily in you. You're looking more and more like Christ. And I couldn't praise the Lord more for that. It's an incredible thing. Some of you, that's where you're at. But then maybe some of you, maybe you've been sitting on the fence. Maybe you've been just floating along. You've been in status quo for so long that you don't even see it. My question for you this morning is this, what's holding you back from giving all of yourself, all that you have to follow Jesus? What are the books that you need to throw on the fire of your life today? What, what idols have taken the place of Jesus in your life that, man, you need to, you need to allow God to uproot and unseat those idols? And today, today you need to just throw the books on the fire. You need to burn the books. Some of you, maybe you need, maybe you need some time. I would encourage you today and over this week to say, God, oh, is there anything that I need to throw in the fire? Is there anything that's holding me back? Is there comfort? Is there reputation? Is there relationships? Is, is there, there fine, what is it? Finances. Is there something that's keeping me from going all in, from giving you all that I have? And what could happen? Can you just imagine what God could do if you would just once and for all say, God, I'm going to burn the books. I want to give, I want to destroy every opportunity to go back to this. Imagine what God could do in your life. Imagine what God can do in the life of our church. God's word always disturbs the status quo. And I hope that today you'll let it disturb your status quo, whatever that is. This may be that little but loud, frustrating smoke alarm going off in your life today. Just God saying, hey, man, would you, would you throw that thing on the fire? Would you give me all of your heart? Stop holding back. And God, this morning, I'm just grateful that you receive us when we turn to you, that you hear our cries, you know our hearts. You know better than we do the things that are holding us back. You know the, the books that need to be thrown on the fire today in each of our lives. And 
Lord, I just pray that you'd open our eyes to those things today, this week. Lord, help us to have the boldness and the courage, the willingness to uh, not keep floating along, not keep straddling the fence, but God, help us to choose this day. Help us to choose you this day. The God who has all power and all authority, the God who changes hearts and lives and eternities, the God who can wash away sin. You are that God. So today, Lord, would you help us to build our lives on this firm foundation of of truth, the firm foundation of your word. You are a good God. Thank you that you receive us, you accept us, you have shown us amazing grace. And so, Lord, we worship you today because of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.